What's up, everybody? Lauren and I are really excited to bring you our latest interview. You're going to hear from Charlie Luck, founder and chairman of the Inner Will Leadership Institute. But that's not all Charlie is. As president and CEO of the Luck Companies, Charlie Luck is the third generation family member to lead the 97-year-old privately held organization. He's focused on developing the company's vision and leads the strategic leadership team guiding Luck Companies toward fulfilling its mission to ignite human potential through values-based leadership and positively impact the lives of others around the world. The mission of Luck Companies to ignite human potential is activated through the associates in each of the organization's three business units, Luck Stone, Luck Ecosystems, and Luck Real Estate Ventures. Under Charlie's leadership, Luck Companies has grown to become the largest family-owned and operated aggregate company in the country. The company has also been recognized on a local, state, and national level for their innovative practices and progressive culture. Guys, I can't tell you how exciting this is. Um, We're going to hear Charlie take us through how they went through a culture change, how they um, went from being a rock-based business to a a values-based company. Um, We're going to ask Charlie what was really difficult about going through that process. And then we're going to let Charlie tell us how they went from becoming their best selves and their best organization to sharing that information so that other companies might be the best versions of themselves. So check it out. Can't wait. Thanks. Charlie, can you take us through um, how luck companies went from being rock focused to people focused? Yeah, Chad. So um, this was really, you know, quite a quite a story to kind of go all the way back. My grandfather started a business in 1923. He was 26 years old, and his values and beliefs, like most entrepreneurs, they start the bedrock, the foundation of the organization. And my father succeeded him uh, starting in about 1960. And Throughout the, uh, I would say, 1923 till probably about 1985, 1990, uh, my dad shook every employee's hand at least once a year. We had 200 or less. And um, I took over in 1995 from him, and uh, we went through this explosive growth window. We went from about uh, 300 associates to about 1,200 associates and probably an eight-year window. And, you know, what happened was I had employees coming to me going, Charlie, you've lost your way. Um, This place is not what it used to be. Um, The culture's changed. The way people treat people has changed. And so, you know, what I realized was, well, what I didn't realize was during the course of that growth, we had no model for how to guide us to stay culturally aligned. People were hired based on their ability to run a loader or a truck or program a computer or do HR work. But if you, if you met the technical or business requirements, you were in. But in, there was no cultural filter. So what happened was um, we, in about 2003, we were performing very, very well, um, extremely profitable. Growth had generally gone well. And, and I had lost my way. And... I had a, I would call it partially dysfunctional leadership team, including myself at the top. 
um, maybe being the most dysfunctional. And so um, I knew we could be better. I knew we could be more aligned. I knew we could have less meetings after the meeting, you know, the one in the hallway where you go, yeah. I'm not doing what you disagreed to. The mm -hmm. one in the bathroom, the undermining, the undercutting, all of that political stuff. And we had too much of that. So I knew we could be better, but I didn't know how. I didn't know how to get better. So um, we reached out to a company called Holt Development Services in San Antonio, Texas. And they led us through this whole values-based leadership process. And so, you know, I'll never forget meeting with the leadership. This gentleman, his name was Guy Klumpner. And he said, Charlie, is your executive team aligned with their values? And I said, Guy, you know, I've been working with these folks for all over a decade. I feel like we're highly aligned. He said, well, let's find out. So in the first meeting, we listed 54 values. And he said, there's no wonder there's so much dysfunction. There's no wonder that y'all are pulling in so many different directions because the top leadership isn't aligned in terms of what they believe and what they stand for. So we boiled that down to the four, um, four values and we built behaviors underneath that. And um, we all, 14 of us officers, we committed to walk in lockstep and to model and to share and to train and to really build a culture around this. And um, you know what we found out was that um, uh, within three years, about three had um, either decided they didn't want to do the work because what it requires you to do is to unzip. It requires you to dig deep into your core, into your soul, into your heart, into your values and discover what you really, really stand for. So, and then you have to go to work on this to try to manage this eight pounds on your shoulder that is the most powerful eight pounds in the world. And the process of behaving, leading, talking, making decisions in alignment with the core values, it's hard work. So we went through all kinds of tools around personal self-assessments and styles and and all kinds of work. Um, each of all the officers got together for two full days, once a quarter. Um, and we still do that to this day to work on our leadership. So um, the bottom line is that we ended up rolling all this out to our people and they started going, you saved my marriage. My kids <laughs> like, you know, um, I was a jerk and didn't know it. Um, or I kind of knew it, but I wanted to ignore it. You know, and so essentially the people in the company kept saying, please give us more and more and more. So, you know, we've been at this now for 18, 19 years. And um, all, a lot of the instruments have gone home to family, children, parents, grandparents. Um, and uh, we definitely have impacted now multiple generations through this work. And ultimately the demand for us to share this work was so strong, we built inner will as a nonprofit to teach um, families and organizations how to build values-based teams. So um, yeah, that's kind of a quick, quick fly through. Yeah. Charlie, what can you pin down the most uncomfortable moment of going through that change or, or, or one moment that, that, that elicited Absolutely. some fear? Absolutely. The very first exercise that guy who's with Holt Development Services said, he said, okay, Charlie, 
he said, he was coaching me on the side. He said, what you're going to do, and this was at a leadership retreat, 14 of us. He said, you're going to sit in this chair right here at the front of the group. And there's going to be a horseshoe of all the other officers around you. And you're going to ask them what they like and don't like about your leadership. And they're going to tell you what they like and don't like. And then you're going to say, thank you very much. What else do you have to tell me? And you're not going to make any excuses. You're not going to put any barriers up. You're not going to tell them that they don't understand. You're going to be totally in a receiving mode. So for three hours, they papered the walls with flip charts for three hours about what they like. <laughs> But they liked and didn't like about my leadership. And, you know, of course, I glazed over the things they liked and kind of did, but then I focused on things they didn't like, right? And so, you know, I was just like, I was pissed. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, three hours a week. I'm totally dedicated. How could y'all think? How could, okay. So obviously, I owned all that, right? Everything they felt. It didn't come out of blue air. It came out of my leadership to them, right? So I went to my father, who was the CEO at the time, and, and he said, what'd they say? He knew what was going on. He said, what'd they say? And I said, the same thing you've been telling me for the last 10 years. Mm. So he, said, so what, he said, what are you going to do about it? And I said, well, I can tell you one thing. I'm not going to quit. And he said, I, I can tell you, I'm going to dedicate myself to the hardest work I can of how to be a better person and a better leader and, and have a bigger impact. And so, you know, that was, Chad, that was the very first exercise. Like that was exercise of one. Okay. <laughs> you know, we had multiple, multiple exercises like this that really dug into honest communication really understanding why you are who you are, your family dynamics when you grew up. A lot of times it goes back to your grandparents and the genealogy in your family. It's amazing what you can see in terms of why you are who you are when you look back through the genealogy of your family and the environment you grew up in and, and then also your own life experiences. But all of this started to become clear for all of us. And this became like really deep, good stuff. It didn't matter if you were a blaster or if you were an HR manager or if you were Charlie Luck. There was a whole vocabulary that became commonplace in the company um, as we began to train and deepen the values work and use the tools. And, you know, right away, um, this, this um, I'd say, brought people together. And it also repelled the people that didn't want to work in themselves. You didn't want to work on yourself. This makes you crazy. Like this makes you nutty, you know, to have to do this stuff. So especially at senior levels, mid-level senior levels, they didn't want to do this work. Then they need to go somewhere else because this is what we were going to be doing. In addition to crushing rock, addition to, in addition to taking care of customers, in addition to all the normal things, this extra leadership piece got bolted on. Everybody freaked out and began like, how am I going to do this? They don't have any time to do this. Y'all are crazy, you know? So anyway, but what ended up happening was the dysfunction went away. People actually got a time pickup and the engagement enablement of their people picked up and it became a much more healthy environment to work in. And the customers felt it. Productivity improved, profitability improved, home life improved. 
It, it was, and we had no idea. We, were, we had no idea we were going down this path. <laughs> it really strikes me at the, when you opened up, you talked about, you know, the company was, was running successfully, at least from a, a you were making profit. And, and it strikes me that you still rumbled with something's wrong, something can be better. Um, that that's really cool. I, we could go down the rabbit trail with that. I don't want to do that, but that 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 really strikes me as uncommon. So well, good. and that, I do. That, that's really really important because we definitely had among the fourteen officers, we had officers that were like, "You're nuts." You know, Joe's a jerk. He's really great at what he does. Leave him alone. Just mm. let him go do what he does. Okay. And mm -hmm. oh, by the way, we're doing very well financially. You're going to put this organization at risk financially. And, and I said, I said, I am not going to live my life living in this dysfunction. I said, I'm just not going to do this. And I said, I know it can be better and we are better than this. And so who wants to sign, who wants to do this? Yeah. Wow. That's, a, that's awesome. And That's Chad, awesome. I do want to echo your statements because you, know, you and I were, were reading right now the Dare to Lead by Brene Brown, and she's talking so much about vulnerability and culture. And I think it's interesting that as you were telling your story and how you felt like it just wasn't aligned, your culture wasn't aligned, yet you did have folks that came up to you and said, you know, I feel like we've lost our way. And you were willing to hear them. You didn't discount that feedback. And then you took it as a, a moment of reflection and almost a challenge to, yes, I can do something better. And I would say that just based on the life experiences Chad and I have, those cultures are rare. They're few and far between where people feel that they can provide honest feedback, even if it's you know not positive, if it's constructive, just providing honest feedback. Uh, not all cultures are created equally. So that was really neat that despite feeling like I'm not, we're, we're, we're off a little bit, we're not going down the right path. There were folks that were around you that were willing to speak up and say, I agree, or this isn't the right path. And that y'all, y'all took some action from that. that. That's really neat. Yeah. It's really neat. Okay. Well, so Lauren, I, I had so much respect for so many of these people because I literally grew up coming here, sweeping the floors and cleaning the toilets when I was 12. And so literally a lot of these people raised me. Mm. And they, I grew up with them as they grew. And so I had huge respect for them. And, and I think they had respect for me too. And, and they wanted to see the thing perpetuate in a healthy way because they had enjoyed their careers in a culture that they thought was healthy. And they, they wanted to see that not lost. Mm. So we were, we were kind of all in it together. We just lost our way with the speed of the growth and the lack of the infrastructure, the systems to keep the culture in place. That's good. That's really good. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Charlie, I want to hear about inner will. My, um, you know, I guess one of the reasons that I got interested with you, yes, I came across the LinkedIn post, but um, my wife's family, they are currently using Interwill uh, to coach them through, through some uh, change processes. And so she, she just sings your praises um, and, and they're really getting a lot of value out of the program. So could you take us through that a little bit? Yeah, so um, what happened was in 2011, 
So we started this journey in 2003 and 2011. By that point, customers and vendors and, and others were going, what's going on in luck companies? Like, what Kool-Aid do y'all drink? <laughs> and so we would have Caterpillar and they would come here and they'd bring people from China and Germany and Asia. And they would see how our people worked with each other with respect, integrity, innovation, creativity, a lot of different things. And they were like, how do y'all, what's going on here? So anyway, we in 2011 had a symposium in Washington, DC, and we invited about 250 customers, vendors, and guests. And, and it was a two-day function. And essentially what we did was we said, we've been through, so, so maybe, maybe regress a second. In, 20, in 2003 and four and five, once I started to learn a little bit about BBL, I was like, wow, these tools would have been so much more valuable to me 20 years ago. Yeah, I've got, yes, um, what would I have been in? I was, what, 53? Is that right? No, I was 43. And, and I was like, I, I wish I had exposure to this before. And so the, the whole idea was how can we share this? to help families and family businesses um, to be better. And so when the did the symposium, we shared everything, all the resources, speakers, people, speakers, and said, anything y'all want, just tell us and we'll tell you, we'll give you everything we got. Well, the phones blew up, the email blew up. And quickly we were outstripped. We could not keep up with the demand. And so then we said, how can we set up a nonprofit? Don't want to make any money off this. This has never been about making money. It's about doing the right thing. It's about philanthropy. It's about giving back. And so that's when we started in our will. And so um, we essentially took a number of the people in luck companies who were super passionate about it and wanted to do it full time. And they came over and founded in will. And from there, you know, we've been doing this now for six, six plus or minus years. Um, so, um, so that's, that's what it's all about. And um, so that's kind of the origin. That was the mindset. That was sort of the, the reason that it, it kind of built a life of its own. And um, so the Interwheel Board is an incredible collection of talented people from all over the, the country and um, one and from the UK. And these are people that have devoted their 30 plus years to this subject of leadership and business and families and values and culture. And they really understand, you know, how you, how you do this. Oh, that, that, that's exciting. I'm thinking about my company and, and they're great to work for, but if somebody came to me with that type of initiative, I, I have a hard time not signing on. Um, well, it is, I have to say this, both Chad and Lauren, this is the hardest work you'll ever do. It, it is, what it does is it deeply challenges you to, number one, dig inside yourself and figure out why am I like I am? And that can be, that can be scary. And that can be very positive. And it can be, I think, life-changing. And then you start to learn the most effective version of Chad, 
or long. <laughs> and then you go, oh, oh, so I've got to try to do that every day, all day, and manage the monster here that makes me say and do things that aren't real effective. And then it's like, oh, and, and everybody around me is going to be watching. And oh, it's going to be on my APR. And it's not just, it's not just what I do. It's not just, but it's how I do it. Now I'm being evaluated on how I do it. And at least 50% of our officers pay is how. Over 50% of what they get paid has nothing to do with results. Has nothing to do with how much revenue, profit, any of that. It has everything to do with how they lead and how they manage themselves. So, I mean, we got really serious about it. So, you know, it's, but the, the rewards are is you, your kids go, I can talk to mom or dad better than I used to. You know, the grandparents might go, yeah, we've got some skeletons in the closet and now we can talk about them a little bit more, right? So a husband and wife relationship um, undoubtedly is better as a result of doing the work. So Man. it's hard, but it is hard. I'm telling you, it is not easy. Um, but most good, most great things in life aren't easy. Well, I mean, I, I am loving this because I, I, I'm with you. It does take, it takes work to do that internal reflection, to rumble with those feelings. But then I have this other part of my mindset that goes, isn't this just basic nature? Like everyone has different tools available in their toolkit, but like, shouldn't we all be provide doing some self-reflection on a routine basis to become the best versions of ourselves? And why is that so hard? Is yeah. it hard because of something that you said where you were like, you know, it would have been great if I had this information years ago. And when Chad and I were reading a book earlier in the year, it was uh, The Gift of Failure, and it was talking about kids. And I specifically remember they had an example of in Sweden or Finland or somewhere like that, where kids starting in elementary school, they would dedicate an hour, one day out of the week to talk about, you know, problems that they have in their lives. And certainly a five-year-old's problem and a 10-year-old's problem and a 13-year-old's problem is different, but they share it as a group and they do it as a group activity. And I could only think of how rewarding that would be or how useful that would be to them in their future and their problem solving. And so to me, like I am with you, I know that this takes hard work. It takes intentional and purposeful work, which is what Chad and I have been trying to do this past year. But I struggle with the fact that this should be basic. This should be ingrained in us and a skill that all of us can participate in and should participate in. And what are these roadblocks that keep us from doing it? Is it just that we're all so busy and it's something that, you know, falls to the wayside is taking care of yourself and your personal and your mental health. I'm not sure, but, um, that, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you. Well, Lauren, I think a lot of this goes back to, you know, the biggest, I'd say, social influence in the world, I believe, is employment. Like it, the, the biggest platform that influences humanity, I believe, is the employment platform. It's where you spend, you know, the bulk of your waking hours by the time you knock out meals and sleep and grocery store and all of, you know what I mean? It's the bulk. Yeah. So when you look back over history, um, most 
larger businesses are influenced by what they get taught in, in grad school and in business school. And if you think back and you look at the curriculums at all of your major MBAs, they don't have this stuff in there. They have acquisition work, they have financials, they have legal, they have, so the human part is not taught in the advanced academic business leadership systems. And therefore, when you look at how their companies are run, they are run by the same largely financial principles, which is what's in their, which is, which is in their end of year reports. If they're publicly held, it's the market, the, the stock market plays such a heavy role. And so this cultural thing has never been emphasized. And then what happened, we had the crash of 08. And, and for the first time, boards and corporate heads started to go, how we do what we do is really important. You had oil spills, you had environmental problems, you had early social problems, not nearly as intense as they are today. But what happened is that boards started to require executives to pay more attention to the culture. And I think that was just to me in my 30 plus years, that's the window when it started. Okay, so, so, but, but even still, it, it takes to me a system. We have people that leave the company and they wanna go to their next job and they wanna take the tools and the processes and all there, but they look up and the leadership goes, uh-uh, mm -hmm. we're not gonna spend the time and money in that space, okay? We're doing this and this, we're doing technology and we're doing data and we're doing, okay? So, so it makes a world of difference, just like those kids you're talking about. When there is a regular practice, a regular vocabulary, a structure and a system, then you get the lift. You don't get the same lift as much as I hate to say this, by reading a book and being out there by yourself. You need to be in community where people are talking with each other and sharing their obstacles and sharing their victories. And, and that is done through you know, human to human interaction. And that's where it's the best. Doesn't mean that we can't all individually learn a lot. We absolutely can. But uh, that's, that's some of my, my um, explanation around why you don't see this more widespread. And you do see it more, and this is why Interwill is focused on families you do tend to see it more in family businesses because most families want to see their business perpetuated to the next generation. The average public CEO changes every six years. So their stock incentive and everything encourages them to do everything they can to improve the financial performance. And that doesn't, that doesn't always put people at the forefront. So the family held businesses is where we believe the biggest opportunity is to have a lasting impact with culture and values. And I, I love that you had put it, that the work that y'all were doing maybe in a consequence that you just did not envision was how it would, someone's professional life, how it would filter into their personal lives and the people around them and how much of a bigger impact you can have. And that, that is huge. Yeah, in our early work, we had people going, oh, wait, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. You mean the values at the company, you mean I'm supposed to do the same thing at home? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> like, 
the company wants me to act when I'm at work, but then I'm going to go home and I'm going to be a wild man. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Heck with y'all, right? <laughs> and so, so and, and what happens is that it didn't, doesn't take long to realize that who you are in your core is who you are. And the idea is for you to find an organization that matches your values so that you can be who you are versus having to put on a mask or a costume every day to come to work so that you can act like you belong when you don't belong and then you don't sleep well and then you don't want to get up in the morning when the alarm goes off. You follow me? So, mm -hmm. you know, all we're trying to do here is to go leadership, integrity, creativity, and commitment are our are, are four. And if those, when you do a pyramid, if those aren't near the top, if those four are at the bottom of your values, we don't want you here because you're not going to be comfortable you're not gonna do good work. You're gonna be constantly torn, okay? So if you, if you have opposite values to ours, you need to go find a company who has those values and you're more likely to flourish in that environment. So this is really, really critical. And it doesn't mean we're trying, I got, I love adventure. That's not a value of ours. Family is a big value of ours. It's not one of our values, you follow me? So it doesn't mean everybody has to be the same, but you can't have the core values of the business be no difference if your mom and dad raised you, right, to, to steal and to run around on each other and do all these things. And you came into that family and you said, no, I want to work hard and I want to be loyal and all. you won't fit in. Mm -hmm. you, you, so you have to find yourself first and then find the organization that matches your core values. And then you're going to be more likely to thrive. Awesome. Um, Charlie, we're getting close to time. So I'm going to let you get out on this one. Uh, and, I, and I got a little tip from somebody inside the organization here. Um, I guess, let me ask you this way. What did you learn about yourself in 2020 and how will you use what you've learned to lead more effectively? Oh, wow. So um, if you go back to Met, to March, most everything that I predicted was going to happen did not happen the opposite of what I thought was gonna happen, happened, right? I thought the economy was gonna collapse. In our industry, it boomed, okay? So I can give you multiple other examples. So um, a number of different things. So first of all, I think being agile and adaptable and resilient, you know, those things come to the top of mind. Um, I believe that you learn the most when you're in the cauldron, you're under pressure and the temperature is really hot. You don't learn very much when everything's going great and smooth and easy. So in order for you to learn and turn that into action, you have to be resilient. When you're beat down or uncertain or anxious, dealing with all the things that we were dealing with, COVID, racism, economy, election, right? There's so many things to be upside down about or concerned about. So what we, what we, what I learned about myself is that I had to manage what I allowed to go in here. In April, I was watching the TV every day to see what the latest was on the virus. Well, I got to, and then the political thing started, right? So I had to filter what I would allow to come into my brain so that I had the battery, the energy, the resiliency to lead to the things we believe in, to the things that are core to us, to the things that's core to our family, 
And I could not allow myself to get swept away with all the other distractions. And so, you know, we talked a lot about this in the company. We did lots of communication. We did a video about every two weeks updating what's going on and talking about kids and home life and schooling and just all the, all the complexities that were out there. So, so, so I would add that I think communication, um, we learned how important it was to take communication to the next level. Um, we also um, built, well, we did a lot of things, but we built um, a, a whole uh, system for how we think about going through hard times and how we make business decisions during hard times. A lot of people hadn't been with us in 08 when last recession. So we share a lot of our philosophies about people being the most important and the last thing we would reduce if the economy got bad, right? We would change, we'd lower our operating costs. We'd so anyway, all kinds of things, but I would say number one is that, um, that self-awareness, resiliency, um, managing your mind and communication, like those things um, we're at a premium and we tried really hard to do them at a level we had never done them before. Charlie, we had high expectations coming into this interview and, and you've exceeded them. Um, th this was really good. And, and I know I have a few takeaways that, that I will implement. Uh, and that's our goal with this podcast is to create some content and share it. And hopefully we inspire some folks in some way to, to, to be a better version of themselves. So thank you very much. Well, thank, thank you. you all for the work you're doing. Like to me, this is about helping people, changing lives, you know, and I would say raising the, the leadership standard for people in their everyday world. And that is so, so honorable and noble and fantastic work.